Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Chapter 21 of 2 Samuel. There's two stories in this chapter, and most of the time to preach a neat, clean sermon, we would pick one of the two stories to preach. I think I've preached on one of these two stories, pulled it out, talked about it. But as I was kind of centering in on what the Lord wanted to say today, I felt the Lord bring me back to order and how we can't get to the really cool, awesome second part of chapter 21 without understanding the first part. And I'm gonna summarize the first part for you. It goes like this. There was a famine during David's reign and that famine lasted for three years. A famine. So David asked the Lord about it. God, help us not wait three years before we ask you what's wrong. And the Lord said, the famine has come because Saul, who is not on the throne anymore, who's dead at this point, because Saul and his family are guilty of murdering the Gibeonites. And if you remember the story of the Gibeonites, they were a people who really were destined for destruction But as Israel moved into the promised land, the Gibeonites fooled the Hebrews into believing that they were foreigners, that they were not residents of Canaan. And they made a covenant with them and they vowed to protect them. And when it was told to them that they had made a huge mistake, they realized it. But the Lord said, no, you're going to honor this covenant. And now these people are going to live among you. And so they took them sort of as a weaker tribe. The Gibeonites were a smaller, weaker group of people. They didn't have the means really to defend themselves. And it was really just sheer, like, good old Yankee ingenuity that that got them into this thing where they would be protected by the people of God. And so they're there. And when Saul, for generations, they're there through the book of Judges, and on into the monarchy. And when Saul gets the throne, he is weirdly not passionate where he needs to be and overzealous where he doesn't need to be. And in his over-godless zealousness, which some of us can relate to, he goes on a rampage and, and slays a lot of the Gibeonite tribe. And so God's not pleased with that. And while nothing seemed to pop up right away. It's not really the nature of God to abide by our our timeline. Oftentimes, the Lord waits for a generation to die out before he can address the issues that that generation had because that generation has already chosen deaf ears and blind eyes to that issue. They've chosen their own mountaintops to die on. They've chosen their own battles to fight instead of really discerning and being sensitive to the ones that were on God's heart. And so just as 40 years had to pass in the wilderness before the Lord would bring people into the promised land, a new king had to assume the throne in the form of David, a king, a man after God's own heart. And now God decides, now I'm going to address the problems that began with Saul. Now, you and I, in our selfishness, we would say, that's not fair. Why don't you make Saul deal with Saul's problems? Why don't you make Saul's family deal with Saul's problems? Why don't don't you hold him accountable? But the heart of the Father, as we've been learning over the last few months, is 
Yes, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to use you to do it. You, a David generation, I'm going to use you to do it. And I'm going to use a famine to get your attention. I'm going to use a prophetic word. I'm going to use a breaking. I'm going to use a shaking of foundations. I'm going to use a crumbling of, of the constructs of man that you've grown to depend on. I'm going to use a, a tsunami wave to wash away everything that could be washed away. There's going to be a famine. And so when David cries out, God says it's because of the guilt on the house of Saul and his family. And so David, being David, right away calls for the Gibeonites, and they send a delegation before him, and David says, what can I do for you? And they say, well, we can't settle this matter with money, and we're not going to go kill anybody among your people. And David says, well, you name the price. What can be done? They said, give us seven men from the house of Saul. And so other than Mephibosheth, with whom David had sworn a covenant with, seven men are brought out and they're executed in public on behalf of the sin that had been committed on behalf of the former administration over Israel. And the famine stops like this. And I want that story to be chapter one of a chapter two, of a two chapter book that is so cool and so important and so beautiful because from there we get into watching giants fall. One right after the other, right after the other, after the other. In verse 15 it says, once again, now this is after everything's been cleaned up, the bones have been gathered, the burial place has been set. The house of Saul has paid the price for those sins. And once again, in verse 15, the Philistines were at war with Israel. And when David and his men went into the thick of battle, David became weak and exhausted. Ishbi Benab was a descendant of the giants. His bronze spearhead weighed more than seven pounds, and he was armed with a new sword. He had cornered David and was about to kill him. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to David's rescue and killed the Philistine. Then David's men declared, you're not going out to battle, David, with us again. Why risk snuffing out the light of Israel? After this, there was another battle against the Philistines at Gob, and they fought Sibekai from the Husha, from Husha, killed Saph, another descendant of the giants. During another battle at Gob, Elhanan, son of Jair from Bethlehem, killed the brother of Goliath of Gath. The handle of his spear was as thick as a weaver's beam. In another battle with the Philistines at Gath, they encountered a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all, who was also a descendant of the giants. But when he defied and taunted Israel, he was killed by Jonathan, the son of David's brother, Shemiah. These four Philistines were descendants of the giants of Gath, but David and his warriors killed them. How many of you know that the warriors of God are still bringing down giants today? I want to take five minutes in those giants before we leave. But before we do, we have to take one minute and say that before any giants can fall, we have to first lift up the lowly. Our advocacy, saints, for the oppressed must consider the times when we were the giant. 
Because see, that was the thing. Before these other giants could suffer their fate at the hands of Israel via the power of God, Israel had to own, the Hebrew people had to own where they had been the oppressor, where they had been the giant, where they had been the one to squash the little guy. Before we can take down, saints, before we can take down any giants, we must make right the times when we were the giant. Some of you have been at churches before where during communion, they tell you, before you take this bread and this cup, lest you bring judgment on yourself if you've got ought, that's the King James word for it, with any brother or sister in the body, you need to go make it right. How many of y'all know that's awkward? Because like everybody else is going this way to get their stuff and then they see one guy go to the back of the room, talk to one other guy. Hey, I'm sorry I've held this against you. Hey, I'm sorry you offended me and I've been bitterness in my heart. Hey, I hurt you. I'm sorry. We don't do that as much anymore because it's dark in here and it becomes a, a, an egress hazard. I'm just kidding. That's not why. Our prayer is that we're living a life of that. Our prayer is that communion is really every time we gather together in our greenhouses, every time we break bread, every time we sit over a cup of coffee together. That's our prayer. But I believe that we're doing sometimes the right things out of order. We're going after giants. We're slinging stones and throwing spears. We're, we're, we're rolling out battle strategies, forgetting about the places where we are the giant, where we have been the giant, forgetting that the Lord desires to make those things right in us and through us. I remember my mom, she um, was on a book tour going around the country and, and uh, going to just going to whatever church the Lord led her to, to go in and pop in and bring a prophetic word. And she was down in Louisiana in like plantation country. And she was, I think it was like a bed and breakfast or something somewhere. I can't remember where she was, but she, the Lord gave her a dream one night. And in the dream, she saw an elderly black woman sitting in a rocking chair on a front porch of a shack. And in the dream, the Lord made it abundantly clear to her that he had brought her into this township for the sake of repenting, for the slavery and the bondage and the oppression that had happened there. And she woke broken hearted and and began to intercede and prayed through the night until the Lord uh, gave her reprieve from it to cry out on behalf of a generation long gone by the way my mom never owned slaves she didn't have a racist bone in her body and yet the mantle was put on her I'll say the honor was put on her the blessing, the privilege of owning another generation's sin that the people of God might be set free from the famine of its repercussion. 
Don't be so full of yourselves to think that just because it's not a mistake that you ever made doesn't mean that there isn't something you need to do about it. So they make it right. And we see this list of giants, and I'm going to go through this very quickly. Ishbi Banab. Ishbi Banab was a giant who tried to take advantage of David's weariness and exhaustion. Have you ever in this room been in a season? And I say a season because it's never five minutes. It's never like, oh, I got a good night's sleep. In fact, rarely is it even that you go take a vacation and it goes away. At least that's not how it is for me. I love how Ashley and I go on a vacation with four kids, travel down to North Carolina in a car with everybody and stay in my mom's little house with my sisters and their kids and all of that. And then we come back and people are like, did you get some good rest? (laughs) No, 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 no. In fact, I have to take a week off to make up for the three days that I just was trying. I'm just kidding. It's not that bad. But guys, if you, if you know the enemy, like Paul tells us to know the schemes of the enemy, be wise to the schemes. If you know the enemy, you know that he is watching for your exhaustion. He is, he is honed in and, and on his radar comes up. Spiritual fatigue. Exhaustion. When you're tired, when you're weary, when you're weak. And even though... The word of God says, don't grow weary in well-doing. Sometimes we grow weary in not so well-doing. Sometimes we grow weary from striving. But how many of you know the Lord doesn't give up on you just because you do it? Here's the deal. We're taught something about being under attack when we're weary. It was about to take out David. This giant was about to snuff out the lamp of Israel. That's what his followers called it. And what happens? Abishai comes out to David's side. Abishai. Now, Abishai was uh, David's like nephew or something. But the important thing that I want to draw your attention to is not that cell phone that's ringing. <laughs> the important thing that I want to draw your attention to is what his name actually means. Okay? Because if you're exhausted, if you're weary, if you're tired, if you're weak in this place this morning, do not leave here without this. The name Abishai means my father exists. And I want you to know this morning that in this story, the people of God are taught how to fight the giant of exhaustion. It's not, hey, go get a good night's sleep. It's not, hey, go eat some chewables, you know, or go get a prescription for uh, sleeping meds. It's not, you need a vacation. You need a vacation from your vacation. You need a longer vacation. You need a sabbatical. It's none of those things. It's to admit that your father exists and to apply the truth of his existence to your battlefield. Was anybody, that is a good word. Everybody's all like messed up from that other word, John. Thank you for that. (laughs) Lord, thank you for that. Was anybody ever a little kid and you were like, you were like, my big brother can beat your big brother up. 
and then somebody pulls the dad card. Oh, yeah, I'm going to tell my dad. And then it's like, okay. At least it used to be like that before dads were, like, weak and gay. <laughs> Some of you have manly fathers. You can still say that line. I don't care. One of those mornings. When you're, when you're weary, when you're tired, when you're exhausted, and when the giant comes running after you, it's not the time to say, maybe if I can lift this sword a little higher. Maybe if I can, maybe if I can throw this spear a little further. No, it's a time when the truth that you need on the battlefield is that your father exists and that he shows up in your fight. The next thing is, the next giant, Saf, also called Sephai, in verse 18, this word, his name, the, this giant's name literally means threshold, threshold. And I know so many believers who will <coughs> jump and holler and fight and praise and serve and minister and pour out and pour out and pour out and pour out as long as they're never called to leave the room they're in. Why? Because they have a fear of thresholds. Is Dave LeBeau in here this morning? Dave taught me something a while back, and it is this, that statistically it is proven that people hang out at thresholds. Do you know that? You can have a room this big, and you will have 20 people right there and 40 people back there. If you ever had a kid, kids do this. Dead of winter, minus 17 degrees outside, one leg over the threshold, the other leg in the warm house. What does that mean? The door's open and all the cold air's coming in and all the warm air's going out and you're getting ready to strangle them and start to deplete their college fund for the heating bill. <laughs> Why? Because it is in our nature to be reluctant, to be hesitant, to cross a threshold. And we talked about that reluctance and that hesitancy a couple weeks ago, didn't we? We talk about how that is what hangs up the people of God. It's not a paralysis where the freedom of the Lord is, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And yet we get to that threshold. We get to that place where God's called us into a new season, into a new place. It was Tim Trafford and you said to me in, in Seekonk, and, and you said, thus saith the Lord, I've placed your feet in a large room, in a large room. And then we came over into the Macy's. And you said it to me again. I've placed your feet, because I'm looking around in Seekonk. I'm like, nah, we don't have room in here, Tim. <laughs> Tim's like, hold on. I've placed your feet in a large room. He said it to David, and he said it to you. The question is, will you quit dragging your feet and get your butt over the threshold and actually move in to the territory he's called you to? The threshold moment is one of the greatest giants among the church today. But I want to tell you how we bring that giant down. A man named Sibekai came out. And the story in uh, the same story is recounted in the 23rd chapter of this same book. And there his name is given as this, Mebunai. And this man called Sibekai, a sort of a nickname based on where he was from, and Mebunai, being his real name, 
It means this. Jehovah constructed. Jehovah built. How we bring down the giant of that fear of thresholds is to come back to the truth that just like God built whatever's on this side we're in now, well, he built whatever's on that side too. And whatever season that you've grown comfortable in, yes, he built it for you, but he hasn't finished yet. And what he is calling you to, the next place, the larger room, the expansion of your territory, the lengthening of your cords and the strengthening of your stakes and the stretching out of your tent curtains, well, he's built that too. And what began in the spirit will not continue in the flesh unless you try to take over. So take that giant down, that fear of moving into the next place. The next giant's name isn't told us in this story. It's told us in 1 Chronicles chapter 20. But the next giant's name is Lami, L-A-H-M-I. And Lami comes from a root that comes from a root that means to fight in like hand-to-hand combat, to engage in battle. He was a fighter. And they named him that way because of it. And some of you are in the fight of your life. You're already there. This isn't a giant off in the distance that you can call out Abishai. This isn't, this isn't a, a, a threshold moment that you know, well, as long as I don't go over there, I don't have to cross that threshold and I don't have to cross that giant. As long as I don't have to cross that bridge, I don't need to know about the troll that's underneath it. No, to those of you in the room and you are already in the middle of the fight, I want you to know who went out against that giant and who God gave victory. A man named Elhanan, the son of Jair. And Elhanan means God is gracious and shows favor. I love that. I love that. You fight with favor. You've heard of fighting fire with fire. That's how the world does it. They're going to post that about me. I'm going to post that about them. They're going to say that about Democrats. Well, I'm going to say it about Republicans. And then I'm going to tag a Bible verse on it for good measure. Now, that giant of hand-to-hand combat, when the enemy engages you and he throws the first punch, And you're down and everything inside of you. You see, he's counting on our nature. He's counting on sin and brokenness. He's counting on your cat-like reflexes to lash out and to sin in anger, to sin in retaliation. He's counting on it. That's what the whole thing is about. He doesn't need to win the fight. He just needs you engaged because either way you lose. How do we fight that giant? With favor. I'm blessed. I'm highly favored. In fact, God's gone out of his way for thousands of years to prove to me just how gracious he is and how much favor is on me. And there is no amount of beating that can beat that out of me. Would you stand with me? The last giant, we're not given his name anywhere, but we know this about him. Dude had 24 digits. 
six fingers on each hand, six toes on each feet. I'm not that concerned about those things, at least for this message. But what I want to point out is what this giant was doing. What was he up to? He pulled a page out of Goliath's book. He would go out on the battlefield and taunt. He would go out and scream blasphemies. It said, it said that when he defied and taunted Israel, and I believe that this is one of those giants that can exist, maybe not in the forefront of our sights, but in our peripheral, the taunting. Some of us, we may not know it, but we, we speak with the voice of that giant to somebody else. We become the ones who, who speak defiance into their ears. But for those of you this morning, and that voice is back there somewhere, I want you to know that Jonathan took that giant down. Jonathan, the son of Shemiah. Jonathan means God has given. And Shemiah, his father, means to hear or to listen. The problem with taunting, the problem with those blasphemies, those shouts, is that they begin to be what we listen to, what we believe, and what we fear. But in the same way that it was Jonathan, son of Shemiah, that took that giant down thousands of years ago, today I believe in the same way that it will be when a warrior rises up inside of us, one that understands that God has given us the ability to listen and to hear his voice. A voice that when we tune into it is louder than any giant, yes, sir. than the yes, roar sir. of any lion. Yes, sir. It's a voice that roars with a whisper, you've already won. You've already won. Saints, as we close in prayer, I want you to just meditate on your way out of here this morning with the fact that it wasn't David who brought down all these giants. David took down one, but it was God gathering men around him, mighty warriors. In fact, they were called in the annals of history, yep. David's mighty men. Yeah. And I want to ask you this morning, do you have mighty men around you? Do you have sons and daughters of God who are looking out for you when you're weary and when you're exhausted? Are you transparent enough in your greenhouse to say, hey, I'm being taunted right now. Hey, I've got lies coming at me from every direction. And honestly, I'm getting weary. Are you, are, you, are you vulnerable enough with the people that you sit down with in a living room every week or, or, or on a Zoom call or a whatever it is? Do you have those, those people in your life who God has raised up for the purpose of taking down your giants? David was never meant to slay every giant by himself. 
He was meant to get the party started. And I want to encourage you in this place this morning. If you don't have that group, get in that group. If that group's full and there's no room for you, go anyway and tell somebody else to leave. That's what I do. I'm just kidding. But it's my greatest prayer that we are surrounded by mighty men and women of God. That for those threshold moments, when we've got one one leg on the outside and one leg on the inside and all the weather is switching places and we're in this whirlwind of leaves and clouds and dust and screams, get out of this room, get out, shut the door. We're gonna close in prayer, but I feel like out of all of these, the threshold moment thing, it just needs to settle in on this service. We're gonna close in prayer, but here's what we're gonna do. If you're in this room and you're at a threshold moment and there's, there's some fear in you about stepping over, I want you to know that's not just a like, well, I'm doing the math in my head and I'm gonna make a calculated decision. No, you're not. You're afraid of a giant. Just be real. You're afraid of a giant a giant that wants to do anything to keep you in the room you're in, a small room. If that's you, step out of your seat and meet me at this altar right now. We don't have time to play around, so make it quick. Good, good. It's good. Thank you, Lord. When I was in Bible school, when I first moved to New England, didn't know anybody, the Lord thought it would be funny to pair me up with a man right off a boat from Korea who worked in a Chinese restaurant and smelled like a dumpster every night he came home. And I love to talk to people and make friends, but I did what every kid does. I stood in my doorway to do it. We'd stand in our doorways, lean out the hall, talk to people as they walked by. And his name was Peter. It was Peter, but it was Peter. And Peter's famous line, the one line that he learned how to speak in English, because I ended up writing all his papers for him. The one line he could say flawlessly in English was this, in or out, sock, in or out. In or out, sock, in or out. Still wake up in a cold sweat, wanting ramen noodles for some reason hearing those words in my head. And I want to say to you, in or out, in or out, the harvest is great, but it's out there. The laborers are few, and too many of them are in here. In or out, in or out. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you don't just allow Satan to sick giants on us and then laugh as we try to figure it out. But Lord, you've given us a strategy for every giant. There is a weak place for every giant. And so God, I pray over this room, Lord, and I pray over, over every warrior in this place. God, those who've come down to this altar this morning who are going up against Saf, 
God, I pray, I pray, Lord, for a spirit that reminds them that it was you who built every room. It was you who have created the places and the spaces before we ever set foot there, before they were ever on our radar or on the map. It was you, God, who put the stars in the night sky before we ever built a rocket ship to land on the moon. It was you. It was you who who drew the land up out of the deep. It was you, God. And so, Father, would you draw up from out of the depths within us a giant slayer? Would you draw us into rooms of mighty men and women to see these things fall in our generation? We thank you for it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Everybody now. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.